It is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day and a good show, as usual. Phil Miller from the Star Tribune joins me here in a little bit to talk Twins. Asked him, you know, of all the people slumping on offense right now for the Twins, who should we be the most concerned about, worried about, um, that they won't come around, that this could really affect the team, the offense, all season long. So Phil and I had a good conversation about that, good conversation about the pitching, lots of interesting insights, tidbits from him. Um, you know, sounds like Byron Buxton's going to be the DH for the foreseeable future. Carlos Correa having an influence over that. Just a lot of interesting stuff from Phil. Get a Royce Lewis update, just all sorts of all sorts of interesting info. So stick around for that in just a few minutes. Got some Emmanuel Reynoso thoughts at the end of the show. Back with Minnesota United, kind of, sort of. We'll see when he's actually back on the field, but they could use him as soon as possible. First, though, what did I miss? I just started with the NBA today, and two very different games, two different reasons to talk about two different games Monday night, two teams taking 3-1 series leads. Um Lakers doing it against the Warriors and the Heat doing it against the Knicks. I want to start Lakers-Warriors, though, because I just found myself watching that game kind of late on uh, on Monday night and just kind of had a moment of quiet. I was like, okay, I'm going to watch the rest of this game. I think it was like mid-third mid quarter on. It was when it was, the intensity was starting to pick up a little bit. And I just found myself really just savoring the moment, I guess. And I, I want to, you know, I don't do that often, maybe as often as I should or often enough, but just watching LeBron and Steph Curry go at it. And two guys who probably realize that the opportunity to win a championship is not going to present itself all that many times more in their careers. LeBron's in his 20th season for the love of goodness. Um, Steph Curry is in, he came into the league in 2009. I think we all remember the draft that year. <clears throat> Timberwolves had two shots at him, didn't take him. So he's, you know, he's 35. He's 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 winding down. He's still got plenty of life left in him, as does LeBron, even though this is year 20 for him. But both these guys have to realize that, you know, the Warriors have all sorts of luxury tax bills come due at some point. This team's not going to be together forever. The Lakers, you know, LeBron is still great, but he's just not quite the same player he used to be. Building a team around him is never going to be quite as what it was, you know, even five years ago, even even a couple years ago. He's just slowing down a little bit. So these guys, you know, the sixth seed and the seventh seed, trying to just will their way into you know, into a conference finals that they probably had no business being in, that they didn't probably think at the beginning of the year or at least midway through the year once they developed all sorts of problems, all sorts of issues. Lakers with a terrible start to the season. Warriors with issues all year long, you know, starting with Draymond Green and Jordan Poole at the beginning of the year. But two teams that now find themselves after upsets in the first round, Lakers taking out Memphis, Golden State taking out Sacramento. I don't know if we consider those straight-up upsets, but from seeding purposes, those were upsets. Um finding themselves with the opportunity to play each other, these two legends, LeBron and Steph Curry, with a chance to play each other, with a chance to go to the conference finals, with a chance to get to the with with a chance to get to the NBA finals. This, this year is wide open. Um in the West in particular, and even in the NBA, when when Milwaukee went out, I don't think there's just that one team where you say this team is the odds on favorite right now. I think Boston looks pretty good. Philadelphia looks good. Uh, we talked about Miami taking a 3-1 lead on the Knicks. They're the eighth seed in the East. We'll get to that in a minute. But just these two guys just in the, you know, in the twilight, more or less, of their career, 
realizing what's at stake and just going at it in this game. Curry with a triple-double. LeBron just kind of, you know, ceding some of the control in the fourth quarter to Lonnie Walker, the fourth, who had a huge fourth quarter in, in getting the Lakers to the finish line. You know, not the prettiest game down the stretch. The Warriors made a ton of mistakes, but Curry just had a lot of those moments along the way where you're just like, man, this is one of the all-time greats. LeBron may be the all-time greatest player. Two of the greatest players, if not two of, if not the two best players of this generation with this opportunity. I just took the chance to kind of savor it, to watch it, to appreciate it for what it was, to not have like some sort of like rooting interest or ulterior motive or like secondary, you know, watching it for the local market, things like that, just watching a pure sport of basketball. And it, I just found myself really enjoying it. It was you know, not the prettiest of games in the finish, but the Lakers did win. Um, D'Angelo Russell, by the way, one for 10. Maybe I was watching a little bit for the local angle. D'Lo, one for 10, so that was not a great game for D'Lo. But the Lakers do get that 3-1 series lead. Chance to close it out in uh, in Golden State in the next game in Game 5, or else that will be back to a Game 6, and that could get dicey. But just found myself found myself enjoying it, found myself just respecting these two guys trying to get these teams, trying to get these, you know, average, average teams to a place that's higher than what they probably deserve to be. Just trying to will these teams to this spot. You know, Curry's got basically not much to work with anymore. Clay Thompson is nowhere near himself. He thinks he is still taking wild shots, still thinks he can make shots, but he didn't in this game. Um, now Draymond Green's nowhere near what he used to be. Like what the core of that championship team is basically been reduced to Curry and a little bit of a supporting cast. Wiggins has been pretty good for him when he's been in there, but Curry's brilliance and LeBron's brilliance on that stage, that was what had me mesmerized on Monday. And before that, it was the Heat and Knicks, and I was watching that for entirely different purposes because I wrote on Monday about how if you are a Timberwolves fan and you want them to trade or at least explore a Carl Anthony Towns trade, one thing you might be wanting is is for Jimmy Butler and the Heat to win this series. And what I mean by that is I think the Knicks are potentially a landing spot for Carl Anthony Towns if a trade is pursued and potentially executed. They've got, you know, some tradable assets, they've got a lot of draft picks, they've got, you know, players that could come back and help the Timberwolves balance that roster. Things like that. They make sense in a lot of different ways. You know, Towns is from that area, from New Jersey. It they could be looking for a superstar, especially if they don't go any further in these playoffs, if they stall out in the second round after a nice first round win over Cleveland, thinking maybe, hey, they got to break the eight seed. They get to play the eight seed Heat. Um, can they get to a conference finals? Can they can they go further than that? If they stall out in this round and they are now down 3-1, they might be in the market for a star, a star caliber player, a difference maker, especially on offense. That offense was not great in this game. Someone to pair with Jalen Brunson, someone that maybe is a more complimentary player in that system. Somebody that Tom Thibodeau, by the way, knows pretty well from his days in Minnesota. So I'm just saying, if you want to see a trade, forming a market around a potential Knicks trade, a Knicks interest in Carl Anthony Towns, which has already been rumored. We've already seen the rumors out there. We've already seen some reports out there that that's something they might be interested in if Towns ends up being shopped by the Wolves. That, to me, is interesting, and especially becomes interesting if they lose in this round, and they are now down 3-1. Jimmy Butler with another master class in this game, getting the 8-seed Heat one win away from the conference finals. They are playing as well as anyone in these playoffs right now. But from my perspective, I was watching more from the Knicks. If they lose, which they did, 
Could they, you know, could they become with one more loss a major player in a potential Car Anthony Town sweepstakes? We're getting ahead of ourselves, but that's why I was watching that game. Two fascinating games Monday night. Two teams taking three one series leads. The most dangerous lead in basketball, you might say, but we'll see how those series turn out. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let us welcome in Phil Miller to the Daily Delivery Podcast. And Phil, welcome back to Minnesota. Sounds like you have not been spending a whole lot of time here between spring training and road games and whatnot. So uh, wel- welcome back officially to uh, to the uh, the glorious uh, glorious state of Minnesota. I flew in last night. There's no snow. It's, uh, <laughs> right. it's green everywhere. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, um, it seems like we've been on the road uh, right from the start, but uh, it's a uh, it- I'm glad to be uh, back in Minnesota. Did you bring any? Uh, did you bring any offense back with you from Cleveland and Chicago? Because it it seems like the Twins didn't expend a whole lot of it there. Just 28 hits in six games, 18 runs, managed to win two of them, and probably could have could have won more still because the pitching was awfully good most of the time that's that's kind of been the story of the season really not just that road trip is is if they get enough hitting they're going to win a lot of games but they didn't get enough on that trip i've got a lot of questions for you thoughts and i know you have some observations too but uh, it just are we pretty clear at this point that the identity of this team is is they pitch awfully well but they they don't hit all that well cuz it it seems like 35 games is maybe not a complete sample size, but that, that sure feels like it's a pretty defined identity for this year's team right now. Well, it certainly was on this road trip. I mean, you said they pitched well and didn't hit, but uh, it, it was more than that. They pitched phenomenally well, and they hit phenomenally poorly. Um, and did I bring any offense home with me? That's not what I do, uh, Mike. Uh, I know. You may have noticed that uh, I wrote last Monday, I wrote a piece, uh, or it was in Tuesday's paper, I wrote a piece about how happy the Twins are with uh, Joey Gallo and how uh, what a great start he's off to. And uh, on Tuesday, I wrote for Wednesday about how uh, Jose Miranda seems to have uh, survived another slow start, just like last year, but uh, but had finally gotten started. Uh, well, those two players... Uh, Combined to go two for thirty six on the road trip, so <laughs> uh, I I think there's a good case to be made that uh, you do not want to be uh, written about by me. Well, that brings me to kind of a bigger picture look at the offense, and you mentioned Gallo. I think he's was he zero for his last twenty three at this 23, point. Yes, twenty three. Although uh, he has he is drawing walks. He's drawn uh, yes. I think he drew five walks on the trip. So his. He still has a team leading among the regulars. He still leads the team in OPS at 887. Not a great sign when your OPS leader is 0 for 23 in his last, uh, you know, 23 official plate appearances. But it does speak to how well he was going. And like you said, that he's still drawing walks. And when he does hit it, it goes a long way. What uh, 11 of his 13 hits this year have been for extra bases, including seven home runs. But you know, up and down the lineup, Phil, you, you look at guys like Gallo not going well, 
Um, Jose Miranda has struggled for most of the year. Carlos Correa is still sitting at 193 for a batting average for this season. You know, some of the other kind of complimentary players like Donovan Solano, guys like Nick Gordon, Willie, Willie Castro, none of these guys hitting a whole lot this season. Of, of the guys who have struggled, I wanted to get into kind of a question, maybe a philosophical question or just kind of a big picture question of who who should we be the most worried about in terms of the strugglers and who should we be saying, OK, they, we, we're pretty sure that this is just a slump or that they're going to that there's enough of a track record that this is not going to be how it is for the whole season. Hmm. Who should you be most worried about? Well, Gallows the seems like a pretty obvious candidate because he was legitimately uh, perhaps the worst player in baseball last year. Uh, it, uh, he, he did uh, hit this poorly last year without uh, many of the hot streaks that, uh, that the twins really did enjoy uh, from him in April. Um, he is a, uh, he is just a, um, you know, a good or bad player. It goes good or it goes really bad. Uh, um, he leads, it, it's crazy. He leads the major leagues in hard hit balls in exit velocity. When he makes contact, it does go a long way, but um, he, you know, he goes through these times where he doesn't make contact, but it should be pointed out that uh, Byron Buxton went through one of these two. Byron Buxton struck out 10 consecutive at-bats uh, at one point in April, and he's also uh, got an OPS near 900. So, um, it, it is, it is, it seems to me to be a very streaky team. We talked to uh, the hitting coach, uh, David Popkins, after yesterday's game, and he said, it's, it's just amazing how when it goes bad, you can just see everybody tense up and everybody trying to, uh, you know, hit a five run homer every time they go to the plate. Uh, you know, it's the one sport where trying harder uh, is actually worse for you. You need to relax and, and get it out of your mind. Um, so um, to your question, uh, most worried about, I would say Gallo is, is number one for the potential to not turn it around. Uh, I, I would say that they are increasingly uh, worried about Jose Miranda, who is coupled uh, a two for 21 road trip with uh, four or five uh, rough plays in the field. Uh, I think they are a little worried about getting him straightened out. Um, you know, I, I think the signs are, uh, are good that uh, the, core of uh, Correa and Buxton and now Alex Kirilov um, might be uh, might be coming out of it a little bit but uh, uh, I don't know it's coming off of that last week where every game was a struggle to score where they absolutely didn't score in Cleveland except when they hit a home run um, it's hard to be too optimistic in the short term now you mentioned um, Miranda of course and you know, they got Kyle Farmer probably coming back relatively soon and, you know, almost miraculously so. Chip Scoggins, our colleague, wrote about that not too long ago, sat down with with Kyle, you know, hit in the face with a, you know, 91, 92 mile an hour fastball. I was actually at that game of you know, two, three weeks ago and looked like it could have been a much more serious injury, escaped more serious injury, thankfully. When he's back, and it sounds like it could be relatively soon, how do you account for you know that roster spot? What do, what do you think they do when he's indeed ready to return to the major league roster? 
Well, they're going to have a, a really interesting call to make. Uh, and, and I will say, uh, I've talked to Kyle Farmer twice uh, since uh, since the uh, beanie, and he is unbelievably positive about it and determined to get back. And uh, uh, he makes jokes about, uh, you know, he, he uh, shows you the, the false teeth uh, that are uh, being held into place. And um, anyway, uh, it, it, it is going to be a, a difficult call you would, kind of just automatically think, well, um, probably one of the utility guys, because that's kind of what Kyle Farmer is, uh, would be likely to go. Um, and Willie Castro is the is the guy that uh, hasn't really uh, produced a whole lot yet. Uh, he's uh, struck by everyone else as the uh, with uh, the hitting problems. But I, I do think that uh, there is a chance. I think they're looking pretty hard at um, at Jose Miranda, and would uh, some days without the pressure off uh, be good for him? Uh, you know, just like last year when he had a terrible first month, it was his debut at the time. They sent him down, and then um, immediately Royce Lewis was injured, and they called him back up. I don't believe uh, Jose actually ever made it to St. Paul, but. I think they have shown that they are, they've shown with Trevor Larnock uh, just this past week that they're willing to uh, send some guys down, try to uh, get them to reset a little bit. Uh, they really do believe the, uh, the mental part of trying too hard uh, is part of it. That Jose has uh, not been that good in the field is uh, probably plays into it as well. So uh, I would say that. Kyle Farmer will be back tomorrow or Wednesday. Um, and I would say that Willie Castro or maybe Jose Miranda are the two guys that uh, we should be wondering uh, about which one uh, which one goes. Now, you mentioned Larnick and Lewis. I want to get to both those guys. Larnick um, was, and I believe still at least is the co-leader in RBIs for the major league team with 19 yep. And, you know, some of RBIs are situational and the front office here has shown that they don't terribly care too much about counting stats. They traded away the batting champ uh, for a starting pitcher and they sent down their RBI leader for, you know, he was not having a, a great season. But did, did, was that more of a, a numbers game or did that one catch you off guard at all? I know he wasn't going that well, but you know, someone who was at least knocking in runs for a team that was having a hard time scoring runs. I could say this, uh it certainly caught Trevor by surprise. I talked to him maybe 15 minutes before he got <laughs> word that he I was. I, I think I saw that in your story. That was really clever. Yeah. Uh, it, it uh, and we were talking about how optimistic he was uh, that, uh, that, um, you know, he wasn't letting it get him down and that he was, uh, he felt like um, he would be able to uh, turn it around. Uh, and uh, I, I, I honestly, think it probably it had a lot to do with Trevor but I think it had a lot to do with um Alex Kirilov and uh the feeling that he was ready that um the way he hits triple a pitching uh you know what uh, what it more is to be gained by leaving him at triple a let's see if he is is ready to go um so they they wanted to find a way to bring up Alex Kirilov actually the way that whole day went down is um they uh, didn't know if Caleb Thielbar was going to be healthy when they determined that he wasn't rather than just switch a relief pitcher for a relief pitcher. When you put someone on the injured list, you have the ability to call up uh, 
uh, somebody that otherwise would not be eligible. And Alex Kirilov still had to wait uh, five or six more days before he was eligible to be called up. So they used uh, the field bar injury to uh, to um, kind of circumvent that rule and get him called up. But I think it had more to do with Alex than uh, Trevor. And I I don't think Trevor Larnack will be down uh, very long uh, once he starts hitting again. Good thing they had Kirilov on Sunday, or there would have been no hit, right? It could have been. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, it was. Uh, it seemed pretty bleak uh, much of Sunday afternoon. Uh, how quickly the at bats were going. Uh, um, well, I'll say one thing about baseball in 2023: when your team doesn't hit and uh, pitches very well, these games fly by. <laughs> yes, it, they do. It was. It, these were. These are less than two and a half hour games in Cleveland. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's noticeable, uh, how much faster, uh, um, that the uh, games are now. Speaking of things that are less bleak, um, you said Royce Lewis heading to Wichita and that's a good sign for them, obviously, but, you know, coming off of last year's injury, what's his kind of status report and what, what would we expect as kind of a timeline for him? Well, the twins all but uh, all but guaranteed in spring training that we will not be hearing from him until uh, the All Star break. That uh, that they weren't going to uh, rush his timeline, even though Royce was saying, "I'm getting better. I know I can tell how much better I'm getting. Uh, it's going quickly." Uh, he's been working in Fort Myers. They've been playing some uh, uh, camp games, uh, and uh, he. Has apparently impressed them enough with how quickly he has uh, recovered, and you know, quickly is a relative term. It has been nearly a year now since uh, he injured his, uh, since he tore the knee ligament and had it uh, surgically repaired. Um, I, they decided to give him some actual competition and give him a real rehab assignment. So, uh, um, and I think he'll be at St. Paul relatively quickly. I think. Uh, um, Minnesota fans will be able to see him before long. They're saying to Wichita because coincidentally, Wichita is playing in Frisco, Texas, which coincidentally is where Royce Lewis lives. So um, it's a chance for him to go home. He's been in Fort Myers for four or five months now. So it's a chance for him to go home and uh, spend a couple of days there uh, and play for uh, the wind surge. I would suspect he'll be in St. Paul within a couple of weeks. He's come along so quickly that he's not eligible to be activated yet. They put him on the 60-day injured list at the end of spring training, and it has meant 60 days yet. Uh, it's the last week of May when he becomes eligible. But at the rate he's going, you know, uh, he might become an option for uh, for the third base spot. Uh, he's going to play third base at, at Wichita and I imagine it's St. Paul. And... Um, you know, he's a, he was drafted as a shortstop, but the Twins have shortstop kind of wrapped up for the next six years. So it would not surprise me if we see Royce Lewis and Jose Miranda kind of battling for that third base spot here before long. We will probably not see him in center field again, um, although we also probably won't see Byron Buxton in center field anytime soon. Is that what, uh, is that what we understand from, uh, from Carlos Correa? Uh, well, yeah, uh, Carlos Correa, uh, while playing shortstop in the Apple TV game uh, uh, Friday night, was mic'd up uh, and was telling stories while 
uh, he was uh, fielding ground balls. Uh, and he told about the dinner he had with, uh, with Byron Buxton during spring training where Byron, the twins had presented him with the notion that, you know, let's just, let's just keep you a designated hitter for a while, especially through the cold months and, uh, and see how that goes because, uh, you know, running around the outfield, running back and forth to the outfield is, uh, you know, well, let's remove that stress for a while and see if it keeps you healthy. Byron uh, said, you know, he uses playing the outfield as a way to keep his mind off of uh, off of what's happening at the plate. And he was skeptical. Carlos Correa had him over, uh, cooked him a nice dinner. They talked for more than four hours, uh, both of them say. And uh, Carlos made the case that, look, you batting 500 times is way more valuable than even the best center fielder in the game, as Carlos put it. Um, and uh, he, he mostly, both of them say, mostly talked him into it, uh, talked him into sticking with that plan that, uh, that he will uh, play DH uh, until he's absolutely uh, uh, ready to uh, go back in the outfield. I saw that Lavelle Neal uh, wrote this week that the time has come that they are wasting uh, one of the great uh, benefits of having Buxton by playing the outfield. But I can tell you that the, internally the Twins feeling is we this plan is working. He is in the lineup every day. He's missed three games all year. Yep. He's the team's best hitter when he's healthy. He is – I wish the fans could see how much different he is in the clubhouse when he is healthy, when – Every question he gets isn't, uh, what about this injury? When are you going to be healthy again? Uh, he's just been a different person in the clubhouse this year. Uh, I, I think the Twins are probably, uh, it would not surprise me if Buxton does not play the outfield this year. It may happen at some point uh, in July or August, but uh, it's so far it's working, and I think the Twins are pretty happy with that. They're happy with Michael Taylor in center field, and uh, – uh, I don't think that's going to change. Yeah, I think Taylor's the X factor in this. If they hadn't gone out and got him and had a guy who you know, was hitting enough and was playing, you know, not Buxton level replacement defense, but certainly above average, maybe even more than that, center field, then there would be more of a concern. But if you if you have that, I think you're right. Why why mess with the good thing? Um, and you know, maybe that leads to the the last thing. Um, you know. Good things have been happening. This is a first place team still. I think, you know, I think the division is poor. The road trip was not great. They're going to get tested by a lot of, you know, these good teams coming in, starting with San Diego on Tuesday. But right now they are a first place team and largely because of the pitching. And, you know, with what Bailey Ober gave them on the road trip and what he's given them, frankly, you know, pretty regularly when he's been healthy in the last, you know, two, two and a half seasons, it feels like the rotation is maybe even a little bit better now, especially since we know what you know Pablo Lopez, Sonny Gray, and Joe Ryan have been up to, and not just the potential of it. What would you say about you know the strength of this team, which is the rotation? I think uh, that was definitely proven out uh, in this last uh, this last road trip. the uh, the starting The starting pitchers uh, pitched to a two seven eight ERA. Uh, and, and you know the bullpen was even better. The bullpen was uh, like uh, two forty-five, something like that. Um, it, it is turned out to be a uh, a strong starting rotation, just like the Twins at Hope, just like they've so rarely had in the past. Uh, 
and uh, Bailey Ober, Ober seems to have uh, joined right in. I, I do think that is the uh, that is the strength of this team, and it will be interesting to see if they're able to uh, add any offense uh, anywhere down the line. Uh, I think they're just hoping that uh, uh, that that it, it kind of comes around on its own. That, uh, that these guys are better than that. Uh, I know they're pretty excited that Carlos Correa is beginning to turn it around and hitting the ball hard and, and uh, uh, just right at people. I think uh, there's a certain amount of uh, luck that hasn't gone their way, but uh, you know, now after, uh, after trying to uh, make some progress in the AL central over the past week, now they're going to try to go win the NL West uh, the rest of the month. They've got the uh, Padres, Dodgers and giants all on the schedule. Um, it will be challenging. I watched the Padre game uh, last night on the play, um, and that's a team with a lot of great hitters, Tatis and Soto and Machado, and kind of the same as the Twins. Uh, why aren't they producing more? Uh, it seemed like they had a lot of fast innings too, uh, and ultimately they uh, lost that game when Mookie Betts tied the game in the ninth. Uh, um, so the the Padres are uh, kind of in the same boat, kind of have the same record as the uh, Twins. I'm interested to see uh, uh, if either one of those teams can uh, can break out of it at the plate because it's a couple of teams that have uh, surprisingly good pitching. Maybe not surprisingly, but uh, they're living up to uh, what the what they had hoped. Yep. Well, we'll see how it fares the rest of the year. I mean, obviously Tyler Malley on the 60-day injured list now gives them a little bit less margin for error. I don't know who the next man up would be now that Varland and Ober are here, but uh, I guess they still do have some options, but the, the depth will be tested along the way oh. here if, if they need to go get anyone else. But they, they don't have to do anything yet, and uh, I guess that's a, that's a problem for another day, and they probably just need to enjoy what they've got while they've got it. Yeah, Randy Dobnak pitched a great game uh, yesterday at St. Paul, so... Uh... Uh, he's still around. Uh, I, I, you know, you mentioned Malley. I feel so bad for him. It's a contract year. You work your whole uh, career towards becoming a free agent and being able to uh, really cash in. And, and now he's had uh, a shoulder problem last year, an elbow problem this year, right as, uh, as he's eligible to become a free agent. Uh, I, I'll be interested to see uh, in, in six months, we might be able to say he cost himself 30, maybe $40 million uh, with this injury this year. And uh, um, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, he'll still get, he'll still get paid, but uh, it, it's not going to be, uh, not going to be what it might've been. No, agree with that. And we'll see where that takes them the rest of the year. See if they can start hitting a little bit more. Phil Miller, appreciate it as always. Uh, we'll catch up again soon. Okay, Mike. Good talking to you. Good stuff from Phil, as always. Go read that uh, piece he wrote on uh, Buxton and Correa, by the way. Really interesting stuff. Good, uh, good, just good writing, as always, from Phil. Always love the way he spins a tale, so go check that out. Star Tribune, startribune.com. You know, I venture to say over the years, a lot of Buxton's injuries, by the way, have been fielding-related, have been crashing into walls, crashing into teammates, diving for balls, coming up, you know, coming up with, you know, bruises, bumps, this, that, and the other thing. You know, hips, shoulders, whatever it might be, you know, head injuries, things like that. I would venture to say a lot of it happened in the field. Some of it happened at the plate, I'm sure. Some of it happened in, you know, sliding into bases, things like that. Those you can't control if he's a DH. But the bottom line is he is staying healthy so far this season. Maybe this is the plan they need to use for at least the short term. 
Let's finish with the cooler. Like I said at the jump, Emmanuel Reynoso back with Minnesota United. Um, we had reporting from Jerry Zagoda on Monday in, in MondayStarTribune.com, a newspaper. He's back in the fold. He went underwent medical examinations Monday. Um, he's going to meet with sports science folks. they got to figure out when he's going to be able to get back on the pitch, where he's at physically, where he's at mentally, and where he's at with his teammates. Some interesting quotes from uh, Adrian Heath, interesting quotes from uh, from goalie Clint Irwin, saying, look, everyone's going to have different feelings on that, right, in terms of kind of, you know, at Reynoso's absence and where how that's weighing on the, on the team, on the locker room. He said, whether it's the players, fans, the club, all the feelings are valid. No one's going to have the same opinion on it as someone else. For me, I don't know him personally. I don't know what he's gone through. I've only played against him because Irwin is new to the loons this year. But I played against him. He's put it in the back of the net against me. So if he can do that and help us, it will be great for the team. We'll all have to work whatever those feelings are. I'm confident we have a mature team. We have good leadership. So interesting quotes from from the goalie, Clint Irwin. Interesting thoughts on kind of where this is all headed. I think Lavelle Neal III and I will talk more about this on Wednesday's show. Just, just a fascinating story. He's been gone for months, comes back now in the middle of the season, a team that's been struggling to score goals, struggling to win games lately. What does he have left this season? How fast can he get back into this mix? How do his teammates accept him? Is it all forgiven as soon as he scores the first goal? Are there lingering things throughout the year? How, how does he fit back into this? I want to get into that more with Lavelle, but I thought it was interesting that there is more advancement on this story and certainly more to to come in the days and weeks ahead that will do it for me today thank you so much for listening like i said lavelle Emil the third on wednesday show talking this talking probably some twins maybe some nhl all sorts of things in play as always with lavelle appreciate you listening today back at it again tomorrow <laughs>